So kind of going back to the, the feet, hips, spine, fascia, in order to unlock fascia driven movement, you need to strengthen the arches. You need to, to develop the ability to internally rotate your hips and you need the ability to segment your spine. Um, so kind of unlocking that is where you get the energy uh, transfer. The ability to transfer energy becomes available. That was coach and athlete Kevin Foster speaking on keys to unlocking the fascial and elastic potential of the body. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but Simply Faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology, from force plates to timing systems to muscle simulators and more. Some products of Simply Faster that I use and love include things like the Freelap Timing System and K-Box, or coaches' favorites such as GymAware. Recently, Simply Faster has added two units that as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the Muscle Lab Contact Grid, which is an extremely affordable and portable step-by-step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of collecting of data collecting strips, the Contact Grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than uh, being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 max. Think of the VO2 Master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 Master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast. Their support has been tremendous, so check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. All right, what is happening, ladies and gentlemen? 164 episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. On the show today, we have young coaching uh, prodigy, and he's also an athlete as well, uh, Kevin Foster. It's actually been a long time coming to have Kevin on the show. He has written some unbelievably good articles for Just Fly Sports uh, over the last couple of years. And actually, it blew my mind when I found out how old Kevin was. Um, I, I don't remember his exact age. It's somewhere in his mid-20s. But when, when I had asked him that, for some reason, I thought he was a little bit older, but the ideas and concepts coming out of this young man's head are on another level, and uh, I was, I'm was i really happy to have him. Uh, his his um, event or sport of choice that he really focuses on is the javelin throw. Uh, his page specifically on Instagram that's very popular is javelin anatomy or javelin.anatomy, and he and like I said, he's written some tremendous articles on Just Fly Sports. Uh, Kevin is one of the brightest and most holistic young minds in the field. Kevin has done unbelievable work in terms of integrating ideas and thoughts from many great minds in the training process, uh, such as former podcast guests David Weck, Ben Patrick, Adarian Barr, and others. 
He's also familiar with ideas from DNS uh, and Ido Portal. And uh, watching Kevin write and, and integrate, it almost helps me to see where, where I've been a little bit and, and how another perspective on how all these great minds work together. And I mean, that's something that I really focused on doing through this show, this podcast, is integrating the ideas of many great minds. And Kevin has done that as well in his own way. Uh, okay, so the show, our episode, is all about the core of what it means to be athletic. The first about 10, 15 minutes of the show is pretty specific to javelin throw and throwing in general, the, the technical, some technical things there. So if you're a, a sports performance coach or you're not really into throwing that much, you, you don't make your money by coaching throwing. The first 20 minutes or, well, really to about 20, 25 minute mark of the show may or may not be that terribly interesting to you. Uh, but I, I mean, maybe you want to listen to it anyways. The second half of the show is all about common uh, those commonalities you heard in the teaser, feet, uh, feet, arches, hips, and spinal segmentation. How do we work on that? How do we make that better to get our the most out of our athletes? So just again, just a fantastic show on what makes elite athletes elite and how can we take some of those things and incorporate that into our own training processes. Great show for you guys today. Let's get on to it. Uh, Kevin, after writing a great many articles for Just Fly Sports, I'm thrilled to finally have you on the show. Welcome. Yeah, no, it's awesome to be here, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so, what's um, I, I meant to ask you this a while ago, but your is your javelin career still still alive at all, or are you uh, you hanging up the the spikes and the spear to to coach uh, to do full time coaching and, and javelin work? Yeah. So. My collegiate career just ended uh, last year, and you know I was kind of in that in in between ground where I was kind of deciding whether or not I wanted to continue throwing post collegiately. But um, you know I needed time to kind of take take a step back and kind of reconsider what I wanted to do in my life. And around the same time, I started the Javelin Anatomy page on Instagram, and you know my body was beat up from five years and. Uh, you know, I, I had three surgeries over the course of my collegiate career. So there's a lot of reasons that I probably could have stopped and just dove headfirst into coaching. But, you know, kind of also around that same time, I was kind of coming across a lot of the work from uh, the Athletic Truth Group guys, uh, the Functional Range Conditioning guys, uh, Adarian Barr, of course. And I was like, okay, you know what, this stuff is too good to just like you know, just learn about it, right? I wanted to kind of dive head first into that stuff and experiment on myself. So I kind of decided, all right, I'm going to take this first year post-collegiately, almost like like a fake redshirt year, and just kind of work on myself and see what happens, you know, experiment, see what the results are. And it's been incredible, the results I've gotten from the Athletic Truth Group exercise system, uh, Darian Barr's kind of concepts of movement, um, you know, I've done a lot of foot training and stuff, uh, you know, understanding the coil and core stuff from David Weck, uh, just kind of implementing all that into my training. You know, I, I fixed up my body. Uh, you know, I've, I've been throwing stuff in practice. I threw it a couple of meets this year and, you know, I'm really happy with where I'm at. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to be gearing up for, you know, a hard year of training going into, uh, you know, Tokyo 2020, set some lofty goals, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. It's I I like um it's always cool to see where athletes, particularly people who are still in athletics, are going with blending the different episodes and guests we've had on this podcast so far together. <laughs> That's always been a fun thing for me. 
And yeah, everyone you just named there has played an impact in how I'm training right now as well. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm 35 now. I'm not as strong as I was when I was 25, but I feel a lot better and I move a lot better. And it's definitely the, uh, it is definitely the result uh, and the, to my benefit of incorporating that knowledge. So it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, I, I mean, I, I think that particularly, especially in Javelin, you're saying like all those things, especially like coiling and, and Javelin, I know when I was coaching track, you know, we were arguing like, what's the most technical event? And it'd be like, oh, pole vault, pole vault's the most technical event. But then, <laughs> but, but there's the argument like pole vault is absolutely, but it's also kind of drawn out. Like it's longer, there's a longer period of time between when you plant the pole and then when you go over the bar versus Javelin, there is a lot of stuff happening in a really short period of time to produce that hand speed. And I feel like it requires a little bit closer eye to some of the new, I mean, not to take anything away from pole vault and pole vault may well be, but, um, the, the technical requirements of javelin are just insane. And it's like the more technical it is too, the more you have to have that innate human movement on lockdown or you're going to blow up. And so it's just a really intriguing, uh, aspect of track to me. Yeah, no, well, it's funny because you know, in the pole vault, at least, you know, you can kind of define it a little bit better as, okay, well, it's a jump and, you know, you have the same kind of takeoff mechanics and, and, you know, you, you, you define it as a jumper, but the javelin throw is kind of in this weird murky gray area where you're not really sure, or you're not really a thrower. I mean, you are, but you're not, you're not a shot putter or a discus thrower. And then at the same time, like you're not a jumper, you're not a runner. So trying to figure out like the training that has to go into it is a little bit, a little bit murky for a lot of people. And, you know, you kind of eventually over the course of a career, you know, you realize that javelin doesn't necessarily play by the same rules that, you know, strength conditioning kind of follows in terms of, you know, force and muscularly driven movement, uh, you know, strength, power, explosiveness. Those are kind of, uh, you know, th those terms don't really fit into the javelin model. And instead, you kind of have to look at it in terms of, you know, energy transfer and look at ideas like timing, angles, positions, uh, collisions, and, you know, elastic rhythmic movement. So, you know, it's, it's different. And it, it's definitely interesting, you know, kind of studying the sport, you know, how it kind of applies to, you know, other events. Yeah, when when I was uh, when I was a javelin thrower and javelin coach, I remember always thinking, <laughs> well, I need my my big uh, obsession was always like getting the rhythm. Like you look, watch someone like Terrell Pickamaki throw, and you'd see like you know this a huge like flip at the end, basically the Superman dive. And I was always trying to figure out, well, how do you do that, and then time it all with the actual release of the javelin, like. This seems um, this seems almost like super like every time I would try to do anything like it, I just couldn't even come close. Or the javelin would go like eighty feet and fall, <laughs> and it's like land sideways. And the more I've learned about the timing aspect, though, uh, you you can't just do pick one thing in that whole throw, like stick your leg far or try to make your leg a break to vault over it. But you might do that, but then the timing of every other limb and and not to mention the steps before it were off. And so, of course, the javelin isn't going to go anywhere. And uh, and just this, it's all so much more complex. And then, but then the solution often provided is just something in the lines of force, like more force, more power, something, some strength leak somewhere. Not that being strong specifically isn't important, because it certainly is. 
but there's, I don't know, I think that timing is a, is one of those things that is definitely underlooked at, I don't know if that's a word, in the world of athletics. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, since Javelin is kind of still so mysterious and there's not like a concrete understanding of, you know, exactly the proper timing that goes into it. Uh, you know, it, it's almost like trying to figure out timing. There's almost like a list of like coaching cues that coaches will throw out and it almost becomes this like trial and error process of figuring out the technique of any given athlete. And, you know, basically the big picture problem there is there's a bunch of just kind of scattered ideas without a solid foundation to lay it on. And that's kind of been my mission is to kind of figure out like all these different coaching cues that coaches use will work to varying degrees. Right. But then how do you relate that back to the athlete themselves and like the, the human body and the mechanics of the human body? There's this big idea that you need to connect the upper and lower body in the javelin throw. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different ideas about timing of, uh, you know, like the left arm or, or right knee or sorry, back knee angle and stuff like that through backfoot contact to block. But, uh, I, I think that kind of looking at some of these ideas from, uh, you know, like a Darian bar and David Weck with like the coiling core, I think those can kind of give that foundation where we know that the javelin is a coiling and uncoiling event, right? You know, you need the hip shoulder separation in order to generate power. And that's exactly what the coiling core is, right? The body moves as a system of, of interconnected uh, figure eights and arcs and rotation. So when you understand the throw as, as um, you know, the coiling, coiling and uncoiling, uh, that can that can kind of set up the timing of the throw itself. Sure. How have you, uh, is there anything specific I like to say the coiling core universe for, um, any exercises or, or related work there that you've used it, used as special prep for throwing? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, understanding the coiling core, whatever is kind of the first step. Like it's the, the, it's like a conceptual kind of improvement in a way. Right, because how you conceptualize the throw matters. If you just kind of view the throw as, you know, a, a series of body parts moving, then you're going to kind of set yourself up for, you know, very, very thinking brain driven movement, very rigid movement. Um, but, you know, different medicine ball throw drills, uh, you know, utilizing the the cue of uh, the flat, you know, a daring bars. Um, flap idea in medicine ball throws in you know weighted ball throws um how does that how does know, that wor- work its way out by the way actually if, if, a quick example before i forget like doing a med ball throw with utilizing the the flap right so it's actually the the back arm is going to be doing the flap or the right so if you're a right-handed thrower and you're doing like a scoop throw for instance driving that right elbow into the rib cage is going to generate that kind of hip shoulder separation, the lat kind of getting utilized and, um, you know, it, it kind of hits the oblique sling a little bit more than if you were to just, uh, you know, do a scoop, if that makes sense. 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it, I, is there anything specific you're doing with like the wrist in that offside arm? Cause you mentioned like the flap. I, I know I've done work with the Darian where he'll have me bring the rib, bring the elbow into the ribs on that front side arm coming back to the body. Uh, and then that, that always has, has seemed to add different element to the throw, especially when he coaches me on it. Uh, but do you do anything with like the opposite wrist or hand and the way it's turned and the objective of the throw? Um, so, I mean, with the opposite hand, when you're throwing, uh, you need to be thinking about uh, pronation of that reaching arm because that goes into the coil-uncoil kind of mechanism. So when you're reaching that arm, the contralateral arm, into the throw, you want it to be pronated. And then as you drive that elbow into your rib cage as you're coming through the release, leaving that uh, throwing arm back, then you twist it into supination. But with the wrist, not really. You're not really doing anything with the wrist. Gotcha. Oh, I, I see. So it's more like the hand. So the hand, uh, and that makes sense. Like I, I see it in my mind because I know I, I know exactly that position. Especially, I see it a lot like in tennis because I work with tennis uh, in physical prep. But like where the they're going to serve or hit an overhand or or they're hitting a forehand and that that elbow is jammed back into the body and the palm is always up. <laughs> it's never down. It's uh, that would be very strange. I think we all know it when we see it. Like, but we, we probably would, if we saw a photo of someone whose hand was turned the opposite way, well, maybe most of us wouldn't notice, but anyone of us who spent time around a Darien, I think would, and yeah, yeah. something would be off there. But yeah, to use that in rehearsal for medicine ball is, is, uh, with that specific idea, I think is really valuable. Yeah, no, totally. And it's funny you, you say with the hands and stuff and the feet, I know that's something that, uh, Darian talks about, you know, you'll see some javelin throwers actually kind of make that you know, L shape with their hand where they're kind of getting that big toe extended and kind of going into break mode on the block foot. So left hand, they'll go into, um, you know, the pistol finger kind of shape. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, they're, they're getting that, that foot ready to the contact. Oh yeah. Are you mean the, the pinky finger extended or something else? Yeah. So like the, the, it's kind of like a pistol. So they're, they're getting that big toe locked into place, essentially. Oh, I got. Oh, I got is you. That, yeah, yeah. Is that kind of? Is that the same thing? Is that what he talks about? Because uh, I mean, with the javelin, you're going more into break mode versus like. No, that's a good. No, I, I got exactly what you uh, you're saying. Because uh, no, uh, yeah, pistol meaning the pointer finger rather than because I'm used to pinky hand, but pinky hand isn't a break. <laughs> pinky hand, like a pinky toe. Um, uh, finger is more about like rolling through in pronation where that's that makes sense if you need to stop and be a total break and you're not even jumping up or jumping forward like long jump then you wouldn't want pinky hand you'd want or, or where the pinky finger is extended because you wouldn't want the pinky toe to lift and you wouldn't want to keep pronating you need to stop the motion that's great i never thought about that's what that way i like i think a cool article would be like all the hands of track and field, or I mean, any sport really, because you could just extrapolate any track event to any other sport. Um, but it's always, um, and that's why, like, I think that's when an adverse side effect of coaching the hands that people don't think of, like when people just coach 90, 90 arms, like if you're a, like a 13 or 14 year old and you're running around the field with 90, 90 arms, like your movement options have become so much more limited or hands, I should say. Like if the hands are fixed too in that 90-90 hand arm motion, which it typically is, like you're just cutting off different options that uh, are going to probably hurt you down the line. But I think 
I mean, yeah, just watching basketball is always one of my favorites to see the different hands that that are flaps that accompany the different ball movements and stuff like that. I now I want to watch like quarterbacks and baseball players now that you you said that with what that offside hand is doing. Uh, but I feel like that always tells us a lot of information about the total skill. Yeah, and actually another kind of funny thing is uh, Jan Zalesny, the world record holder. Uh, he was uh, kind of the poster child for this uh, system of uh, training called. Uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization dns oh yeah and and one of the kind of aspects of that is uh kind of how the tongue can direct tension to different parts of the body so if you look at pictures of jan zalesi through his release you'll see his tongue is sticking into uh i want to say it's his left side of his mouth he'll be he'll have his tongue just you know pressing (laughs) into his cheek and it's you know just about tension redirection from all these different parts of the body yeah, or Michael Jordan. Now I got to go back and I got to see which where his tongue was sticking out in relation to where he was going. Because I think it always was off to the side. Now that I think about it, I don't, it's not like was uh, like uh, it's not like that that right down the middle like like tongue out like the more it's more of a gesture. That's that's more of a gesture like uh, like the Albert Einstein picture that I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. of. Like it's not that. It's it, I swear it, his was out to the side too. So now, but again, it's just that's why I love ta- having these conversations because it's kind of like. You know, rather than hair splitting over different ways to do velocity-based training or something, like let's look at all these things that make these elite athletes elite, and and that way you're not arguing over something that or not, I shouldn't say arguing, but but m- maybe expending more stress over something that isn't probably going to make as big of a difference in the the grand scheme of things versus some of the very small and subtle things that actually are adding up into that whole equation. Yeah, well. You know, it's kind of the funny thing because I feel like there's still so much to be learned about just kind of observing the human body for what it is. Um, You know, like it's something that I kind of wrote about in one of the articles was, you know, why is the joint layout of our body the way it is? What are the implications of the fact that, you know, our knees are hinges connected to our hips, which are ball and socket, which is connected to a spine. And then we have our scapula and shoulder girdle as another ball and socket. How does that impact energy transfer? How does that impact, you know, movement in general? And and what's the difference between how elite athletes use that versus how, you know, lower level athletes use that? Um, because we all have the same joint to joint layout, right? Like we're more similar than we are different. And, you know, by focusing on these intricacies of, you know, velocity based training or, you know, the best squat routines or, you know, all these different kind of strength conditioning methods, whatever you want to call it, you know, that's focusing on the 1% compared to the 99% of, you know, there's so much more to movement than muscle and, and tendon adaptations and, and nervous system adaptations. There's still so much more to be found, in my opinion. And, you know, I think that's where we're going to start uncovering some of these secrets to athleticism is just in that, you know, how do we use the human body in conjunction with, you know, the, the laws of physics around us? You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I agree. I think even it's almost like there's different layers that you go through. Like the first layer, it's like that if it was like the core, or the first the first layer where it says I think it always starts with muscle. And I think especially for people who, you know, it's like that, like for me, the I mean, and I've always, like we were talking about just before we got started, like the first time I watched my dad lift weights 
doing bench press in the basement when I was eight or nine. Like I was so like floored by this, like lifting weights. I was like, this is awesome. And that was before that was well before I was like looking at my muscles in the mirror, like self image stuff, you know, that was just enjoying it for the purity of, of lifting and, and physical training. But, uh, you know, later it became a lot more of a self-esteem thing in my younger years. But uh, I think that we all start off at like that muscle, the muscle world, like that, that's the original core. And, and certainly it's an important place to start. Uh, but, and I mean, if not vital, but we just can't, we can't stay there. Like, you know, it's like that next layer. I think the next layer is like the tendons, like, cause I think that's some of the most popular stuff that I've been releasing is like Dr. Keith Barr, Dr. Ebony Rio, and we're realizing that the connective tissue, like if we even just looking at weightlifting and just forget about muscle for a minute and look in the weight, look in the weight room in terms of what's the effect of the connective tissue. And you have a lot of your questions answered very quickly. Uh, I'm not saying <clears> doing it entirely that way, but then to reach even far beyond that, like further beyond that, um, I think each layer offers us some new solutions. And I hadn't even thought about the tongue until you mentioned it there. Maybe that's like the last layer, like the, the seventh <laughs> or the eighth. I don't know. Uh, but it's it's a really cool equation to think of. And the to just watch elites, I feel like we don't spend enough time watching elite athletes or the freaks like and just like really combing over exactly all the little nuances of what they do. And there's so much gold to be found there. Yeah, right. And and that's kind of the other funny thing is that when we're looking at elite athleticism from that lens of, you know, the, the force and muscle paradigm, uh, you know, our, our excuses for why elite athletes are elite becomes genetics or steroids. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the two answers that fit into that, you know, the, the, the muscle driven lens. So I just think that's interesting that, you know, we, we definitely have a lot more to learn from the elites. Yeah, or they just have a specific, they just have more fast switch muscles or their body type and it allows them to do what they do. And I think sometimes that can be part of it, but it's definitely not all of it. Like, I I mean, someone like Usain Bolt, yes, he's 6'5 and has serious gifts, absolutely. And, but there's a lot of other factors that uh, things he does mechanically that I like, Darian will post a video on something that Usain Bolt's doing. Like, he just posted one on how, normal people do tail kickers and track or, or or sports performance where it's like super rigid spine you know upright front side arms tail kickers and then he's got bolt doing it with like backside arms and like kind of lean forward a little bit like or even how usain bolt uh warms up like even the way he runs when he warms up it's like he's rehearsing his pronation and how he gets to that part of his foot and then, but then I'll watch like a really, the, the explosive guys in the basketball team kind of warm up and jog like that. And they jog the same way. And the guys who can, who are trying hard and lifts, but can't jump do not run that way. <laughs> and yeah. it's just like all those little things you learn from the elites and that go beyond that initial layer is always really fun to put together and learn more day by day. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, Kevin, I know that well, before I get to, I wanted to get to like kind of that next layer, which is like kind of the energy and waveforms idea, which to me is like mind blowing. Like I'm still trying to wrap my, like as soon as you wrote that article, I'm just like totally floored by it. And I still am trying to kind of wrap my head around um, how to observe things based on that paradigm. Uh, the more I read, the more I just am, I am totally agreeing with like the Nikola Tesla and the, the looking at the world with energy and waveforms and vibrations. Um, but, uh, in terms of, I, I don't want to, I want to just t- chat a little bit longer on like kind of some of these principles from Javelin that I think we can, that you've taken on and that have helped your training that I think we can extrapolate out to kind of the greater, 
uh, world of athletic performance. Uh, so in terms of um, in terms of like foot training or or training things from the ground up, the javelin from the ground up, uh, like the feet upwards, can you give us some examples of what you're doing in that space? Yeah, totally. So I mean, the the big kind of overarching principle like of that is just that you know your technique in the javelin throw is going to be limited by how well you can move, um, and that starts obviously with the feet. Uh, but then it also goes to the hips and the spine, and that's kind of how you unlock your your fascia in movement. So with the feet, uh, you know, I actually I started off with a lot of uh, Changji's secret of athleticism kind of training, and you know, I kind of actually realized like a year later of doing it, I was actually doing it completely wrong, <laughs> um, <laughs> and which you know whatever. But what I realized was that even though I was doing it totally wrong. Uh, I still strengthened my feet in such a way that I became a lot more forefoot dominant, mm-hmm. uh, which I think in and of itself is kind of like that 80-20 threshold of training the feet uh, because I noticed huge differences in how I ran, how I could jump, how I could do my crossovers. Um, so just getting onto the forefeet, uh, first and foremost, was like a huge kind of shift in my athleticism you know it was never really something i even thought about so just becoming more conscious of it uh was was a a game changer but now kind of implementing his training stuff you know in a in a better way uh i've been doing a lot of the the standing one foot balance from dr tommy john i actually found it through uh jake tura so that was that was an awesome game changer for me um but, but just kind of understanding conceptually the role of the feet is kind of the, the big starting point. And, you know, one big point that I, I always try to make is that the feet and the hips and the spine are all, like, connected in, in, a, in a much bigger way than we normally give credit for. Um, and so, you know, getting strong arches and getting um, – uh, hip internal rotation, capsular hip rotation. Uh, those are both two ways to take slack out of the system. So, so that's how you become fascially dominant as an athlete is to get that slack out of the system. So it's that neurofascial remodeling that takes place, and you know, bringing that in with the spine is the spine is meant to be uh, like you need spinal segmentation. You need to be able to move every vertebrae in order to transfer energy optimally. So it's kind of like everything from the hips and everything through the spine, because then the limbs kind of become force amplifiers, which is something that Ido Portal talks about a lot. So, you know, feet, hips, spine, fascia, and that's kind of how you unlock this new kind of athleticism. Um, And that's kind of on the physical preparation side. You know, kind of after that, the next step is to kind of learn how to integrate that all into athletic movement, which is where a lot of the Darian Bars concepts come into place. So getting into the inside edge kind of stuff, the upside down Y kind of stuff, um, you know, the the flap and, and just all of his concepts that he talks about, really, that's how to utilize that new kind of athleticism. So, you know, kind of going from uh, you know, the physical preparation, the movement capacity to the movement skills, then you kind of integrate that all into your technique. 
Yeah, like I said, the the new kind of athleticism because it is. Well, I, I will say this: like it, it's definitely new. If if you know, we compare it to like the roboticized way that athletes are often trained in physical preparation, where it's where you take. Uh, oftentimes, you take the feet out by going knees out supinated on the heels and sit your butt straight back on squatting or and, and everything else up the chain that that kind of fits with that paradigm but i uh but i do think about stefan jones stefan jones wrote a recent article i probably already mentioned this on a recent podcast i feel like i'm saying it again but it's worth saying again because he had mentioned he's like i don't feel like we have as many natural talents or you know quote natural talents anymore that like just bless natural athlete uh just because people kids are playing less uh, there's more specialization going on, uh, kids in that. And then, uh, the other sport play is replaced with strength and conditioning. But if you're 10 and 11, you know, your movement library and movement literacy is not going to be enhanced nearly as well by lifting weights as it is by playing, you know, a couple other sports. Uh, you know, you, you'll be a better weightlifter, but that's not going to help you as much when you're later in life and you need those movements to draw on and let the subconscious mind put it all together in this awesome way that the freaks do. You know, and uh, or quote unquote freaks do. Uh, I just yeah. so I, I think there's a couple ways you could say it, but I, I agree with you. I think it is the way that training should put. Like, if you were going to train somebody, whereas the natural talent probably didn't train, they just played all the time and they were just talented. But their body, but that was training, is just in a way that allowed their innate athleticism to take hold. But I do think it's where training needs to head. I. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not trying to take away. I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I just think I think it's interesting how it has to become new in a way because of where I think the direction of um, a typical like robotic program. Yeah, and and actually, I should also say, um, you know, I feel like uh, all these guys that I kind of mentioned earlier, like Ben Patrick and the Athletic Truth Group guys, Adarian Barr, uh, the functional range conditioning, Chong Zhi with the feet stuff. Um, you know, those guys, everything they're talking about is actually kind of in this kind of new athleticism kind of thing they were talking about where, you know, strength through length and fascia dominance and feet and, you know, mobility coming as coming in, in the form of, you know, active, passive, the eccentric control. Those are all uh, they, they all relate to this better movement capacity leading to. Uh, you know, becoming a fashion-driven athlete, right? They're in that same kind of paradigm. They just kind of talk about it at different levels. They talk about it at different body parts. So they'll talk about it at different, using kind of different language, but it's all kind of the same stuff, right? So the, the athletic truth group weightlifting, like I think that that is, you know, weight training for, you know, fascia, for mm -hmm. elasticity. And then a daring bar, and his movement stuff is how to use it. Yeah, create the capacity, to learn to use it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely agree. It's, it's these things that integrate, yeah, muscle and fascia and length, and then how the nervous system fits in is making a big difference. I, I wanted to ask you, Kevin, how, and I will say this with the feet, like back to the feet. I like how, you know, like Tommy John had talked about standing on uh, one leg, and I just think to me that's that is one of the best things I think athletes can do bar none, but I feel like it won't catch on very fast because it's not something that like anyone could write a manual on like buy this, 
stand on one leg manual for you know thirty nine ninety nine. Like you can't sell that. It's like it's it's. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you could say just don't grip your toes while you're doing it and try to be on the tripod, and then maybe you could make like a free ebook out of it or something. But it's not something you can sell. I mean, it's it's the most simple thing. Uh, but I mean, I've I've had tremendous success with that myself, as well as even helping resolve like Achilles issues and things. And I know Jake has gotten good results from it. And I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, but I wanted, uh, so what I did want to ask though was, um, Chong Ji's like, how, how were you doing hyperarch wrong and how has that evolved for you? Um, yeah. So when I first started out, I thought you had to squeeze your glutes as hard as possible and just kind of like, like pogo jump kind of, and I had my <laughs> knees locked out, squeezing my glutes as hard as I could. And you know, it's just, it was just so not at all what he talks about, but, um, you know, as that evolved, uh, you know, I kind of realized like, all right, well, this feels super awkward. Like this probably isn't right. So, you know, <laughs> kind of just doing it a little more naturally, unlocking the knees, you know, getting a little more of the uh, like flap kind of going into it. Uh, it made a big difference. So, yeah, when I do it, I think about um, I think about pinky toe up when I do it. Like that's my <laughs> well, it's like, well, I think you're you're supposed to do it where you're like landing on the ball like that area under like the ball of the second toe or first second toe but i find mm -hmm. that like if you lift your pinky toe that kind of naturally puts you on there and uh so anyways but i like the idea of like tightening tightening glutes beforehand uh before this would go out uh david gray there's a david gray podcast that's actually going to go out next week uh, to this, the date of this record, we're recording this, but like he just him and then Gary Ward, who's been on the show before, um, you know, with pronation, like if you, if you want to activate the glutes athletically, you can't force it just like anything in life. You can't just like force it to happen. Well, that's not the optimal situation is to force it to happen. And the optimal situation is to let it happen as per what the body is already doing. So it's kind of like, it's almost like wishful thinking. Like I want my glutes to activate more in line with my feet rather than just letting it act them activate on their own as you hit the feet correctly and slowly over time those nerves will or and and then being able to pronate too will get that more online yeah yeah no it, well it's funny too because you know a lot of the stuff that uh Chongzi talks about is how you, you know you start to feel your glutes in the movement and stuff and even when i was doing it wrong like i was doing it wrong for a long time <laughs> and i still felt i still felt the uh kind of transition to glute dominance oh nice was it was, you know, it was really interesting. Yeah, and, um, that's awesome. You know, because, yeah, it was Darian Bars when I found his words, when I kind of figured it all out and, you know, put the piece together. Yeah, I guess. I, yeah, and even though I said that, it's like, well, is that ideal to not squeeze your butt while you're doing it? Yes, but can you still, like, that just speaks to, I think, how so many athletes do things that we would say are suboptimal, you know, but still, the results will still come through given the intention of, of what you're doing and the nature of it all and and yeah i, I that chong episode was awesome and it's definitely a must listen if you're listening now it's uh back in the 60 episode 60s that was a long time ago um, True. cool man uh so yeah i and i just like that i do really like that model the idea of feet hips spine and uh what was the last one in there fascia fascia that's that's what i thought i was like i thought it was in our organ or body system <laughs> yeah it's fine in fascia yeah it's like if you have that going for you that's that's it that's it um well so i know one thing that i did really want to get into is like the idea of, of training as energy training as waveforms and the article you wrote on just fly sports was all about like periodization 
but not under the, like the typical lens, but more of like of looking at things in terms of waveforms. Which I guess you could, you know, the, the typical you can you can get a waveform out of a periodization chart. Volume you take the bar graph of loads, <laughs> and you can make waves out of the the line, right, the regression line or whatever you would call it. But what what do you um, what first off what inspired you to start thinking about training more on that level, like like Nikola Tesla said of vibration and energy? What got you on that path? Um, so it's kind of a combination of things. Uh, honestly, the first like biggest realization I had was just kind of thinking about the javelin throw and figuring out how to time things and, you know, realizing that, okay, at any given point of the release, you're going to be stretched out through all these different planes of motion. Uh, you know, you're going to have a stretch through like the sagittal plane. You're going to have a stretch through the frontal plane. You're going to have a stretch through the transverse plane. And it just kind of clicked on me. Like, you know, it was actually in a, in a physics class learning about waveforms while I was thinking about this. So it <laughs> nice. kind of helped make it click. But um, I was like, wait a second. Like, if all of these kind of are timed perfectly together, that leads to this synergy of energy. It's not just like, you know, you have to think of it in terms of synergy. It's not just like this is how you want to do it. It's just um, it's optimal. And uh, kind of along those lines too uh you know i was kind of getting into ito portal's work with the spinal waves and stuff like that and i was like you know what like this waveform idea is kind of present in the body in a whole bunch of different levels and you know that just got me on this whole path of like okay well what are waveforms waveforms are energy um you know where else are there waveforms and when you start thinking about it it's like arcs and rotation those are waveforms in their own sense uh, it's just kind of like waveforms at a different level like a different uh like a, a different you know, differentiation whatever you want to call it um so when you look at the body as this kind of interconnected series of arcs rotations and the ability to transfer energy as waveforms um oh and then also like the elastic elements in the body that's the other huge part is the the expansion and contraction, you know, the load explode, uh, the coil and uncoil, that's also all waveforms. It's the oscillatory movement. Mm -hmm. um, so so finding all these different areas where energy is hiding in the body, you realize that it's everywhere. Um, and then, you know, you can also kind of see the waveform principle in, you know, the, the javelin approach, for example, or a longer triple jump approach. Uh, kind of like what Adarian talks about with, you know, the big, little uh, kind of rhythm and then kind of switching that up to big, little, little, big. You know, that's all manipulation of the waveform of energy transfer. It's just at a different level. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting when you kind of see the big picture that way. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think about based on like a basic waveform too, like just thinking about like the glutes. And again, this is on an episode that'll go up before this with uh, uh, David Gray, but like the idea of, and uh, Gary Ward, uh, I Gary, Gary may have spoken on this on the original show, but like the glutes, you, so often we train them through like hip thrusts or, or clamshells, stuff where you start in neutral and maybe get to contracted or a little bit externally rotated. Or clamshell, you just get from neutral to external rotation, hip thrust, you're kind of in the sagittal plane 
and you can get muscle activation there absolutely you can get probably some size increases and strength increases but it's not um, the waveform is not the same waveform as athletics where it goes internal rotation to external rotation like it's a different waveform and so right it's the load and explode right yeah 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 and then yeah not to mention like the fascial dynamics that accompanies the, those waveforms uh, so what do you, how does that work its way into like periodization then? Cause I think that's a very clear area where you're moving from something that's a little bit like you, I, I feel like coaching like in technique and the hand, that hands-on element is very much more an art form than anything else or other things in coaching. Whereas periodization is typically more, uh, quantitative and you know, numerical and fairly like set in stone and fairly, uh, you know, it's definitely more Newtonian <laughs> and, uh, in some realms of thinking, so how like how does the energy and waveforms fit into that? Uh, yeah, so it kind of goes back to this idea of how you know energy and waveforms come in the form of you know elasticity. So already we know we need to have you know like the tendon stiffness and stuff like that, but the fascia especially uh, connecting the body from head to toe in an elastic manner. Uh, fascia is really the only kind of way to do that. So kind of going back to the, the feet, hips, spine, fascia, in order to unlock fascia-driven movement, you need to strengthen the arches. You need to, to develop the ability to internally rotate your hips, and you need the ability to segment your spine. Um, so kind of unlocking that is where you get the energy uh, transfer. The ability to transfer energy becomes available. And then... Um, you know, kind of going back to the same idea as before is, okay, once you have it, how do you use it, right? That's where we have to get ideas like, how do we integrate fascia into movement? How do we get proximally driven movement? You know, hip driven movement needs to be uh, used for elite athleticism, um, you know, and then utilizing gravity and momentum into movement, uh, you know, because fascia, you know, I kind of like to call it like, the momentum muscle, right? It gets loaded through momentum. It gets loaded through gravity, through through utilizing different positions, um, and then uh, you know, kind of using the the idea of collisions to um, drive the movement. So that's kind of like the first two parts, and then uh, the, the last part of you know the periodization would be kind of integrating that all into your sport technique. You know, whether it's javelin or triple jump or high jump, long jump, that'll kind of all be individual. But the principles of energy and movement are still the same. The movement skills are still the same. Sure. I think, and yeah, that, I remember that's like, yeah, because that's like kind of where it all starts. If that, if the quality of the movement of the athlete is different, then the, I think the nature by which we respond to periodization may be a little bit different too. And just what what systems are you using and what you know what are you are you using fascial systems muscular systems as your uh, like the idea of your skill your skill development being the first priority and that kind of setting up everything else in the program yeah no totally and it's kind of funny too because this whole kind of uh thing kind of started out as or i mean it started off from a quote i got from ito portal which is First, we're humans. Second, we're movers. Third, we're specialists. Hmm. And so, you know, humans first, it's that idea of, okay, we all have feet, knees, hips, uh, spine, shoulders, whatever. So, you know, optimize that movement capacity before anything else. Because otherwise, if, if you can't segment your spine, it's not a spine anymore. It's a tree trunk. 
You know, if you mm-hmm. can't, if you can't get internal rotation at your hips, you know, if your hips can only move in, in the sagittal plane, they're not hips anymore. They're an elbow. So it's <laughs> like, like what, like what is the starting point? It has to be that first we're humans and then move or second is obviously the movement skills. Um, and then specialist third is your technique and your event. But it's, it's also what I was going to say before that is, you know, that also kind of fits into this idea of, uh, you know, we have movement patterns where it's like, okay, every human can squat, hinge, push, press, pull. Um, those are like patterns of movement, but those don't really have anything to do with athleticism. Um, but there's still important implications in the, in the fact that every human can do those movements. Um, but that's kind of like the movement patterns are that robotic form of athleticism that you were talking about. But movement itself, uh, this is something that Ido Portal talks about a lot. Movement itself is how you connect those patterns to each other. What happens between the patterns? Hmm. You know, what are the skills to kind of, uh, you know, connect the dots between, um, you know, being able to squat versus, being able to jump out of that squat into a sprint, you know, all these different, you know, patterns of movement aren't actually athletic, but movement and the the ability to adapt to different circumstances. um, That's where athleticism stems from. Yeah. So you talked about um, segmenting the spine and, and maybe this would have been a good thing to talk about back with like the feet and, and when we were talking about the javelin and different like and coiling, if it's supposed to fit in with that. But what's uh, what are some things you utilize to work on the segmentation of the spine? Are you talking about more like segmentation in the sagittal plane? Uh, just like things that you would see if you like have someone bend over and touch their toes and like looking for blocks, bony blocks or different areas or, or things you see in coiling. I get, or both, uh, what are some go-tos there? And especially even javelin, right? Like the, what a, what a world to have to be an expert on that. Uh, but what are some, uh, what are some things you're looking at there? Yeah. So, I mean, the first big thing is, uh, you know, I start off, uh, normally with just basic, uh, you know, spinal wave drills, which, you know, is basically the same thing as like a cat cow kind of yoga pose with a big focus on leading with the hips and letting the spine follow. Uh, and you know, it kind of requires an internal focus to be able to feel where maybe you're missing mm-hmm. movement at different vertebrae or even better would be to have somebody actually watch you do it. Somebody who knows what they're looking for, watch you do it because it is kind of tricky to figure out if there's like, you know, certain, certain blocks at different vertebrae. Um, but it's, it's important. So it's important to start there. Um, you know, and then, you know, you also get into the rotational and side bending stuff. Uh, just basic, you know, uh, thoracic mobility drills are, you know, good for, you know, working on that. But it's also important that you have kind of adequate hip mobility to start in the sense that if your hips are locked up, your spine tends to also lock up. So, you know, you can do all the thoracic rotation drills in the world, but if your hips are not in an optimal, uh, you know, don't have optimal mobility, then that's going to kind of be a, a block in and of itself. Um, but then there's also kind of levels to the spinal segmentation where, you know, there's the idea of passive mobility versus active mobility versus eccentric control. And so a lot of people will stop at being able to just actively segment their spine in the 
you know, a cat cow kind of yoga pose. But what's important is that you still take the time to develop the eccentric control on either side of the spine because the spine drives movement. So you need to be able to control that on either side to be able to, to, to be strong on either side of your spine. Um, so then you can kind of go into like loaded spinal wave drills or spinal segmentation drills, which would be stuff like the Jefferson curl from the athletic yeah. Truth group guys would be, that's how you strengthen the backside. Uh, then you can kind of do, uh, you know, like kind of like reverse decline sit-ups, but you go down one vertebrae at a time all the way down to letting, uh, letting your head kind of extend, letting your neck extend, uh, because a lot of people are still in that kind of, uh, you know, call it bench press posture mm-hmm. where, you know, they don't have the ability to open up their thoracic spine and, and have eccentric control of the cervical spine. Um, you know, people, a lot of people that I've seen lack the ability to just bend backwards and let their head kind of, you know, not dangle behind them, but they don't have the ability to uh, control their head behind them. And that's still the anterior core's job um, to, to control that. So you need it all the way up in order to optimize energy transfer. Yeah, I think I you know, it's, it's very easy. Now that you mentioned it, it's very easy to work the segmentation of the spine with the head facing down, like, or even just standing spinal flossing or anything like that. Or the, obviously that, um, uh, J curl, which yeah, I've been doing after I, uh, saw, or that podcast with Ben, I've been doing that, uh, myself and, and with my athletes and I enjoy it, but to think of it from working two ways, right? Like, uh, I suppose you could work, use like a incline, um, an incline sit up bench or maybe a glute ham or something like that for that purpose too, of that reverse, like working the chin and working the anterior side, working the core and that. I yeah, no, totally. core, core. What a, what a word, right? <laughs> what a word. Yeah. <laughs> that's where my brain goes. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, was, I hadn't really thought of it like that. That's really cool. And then do you do anything with like rolling? Like rolling has been a muse of mine ever since the Tim Anderson podcast. But in the transverse plane, are you looking or is that a different entity you're talking about? Oh, yeah, no. So definitely the, the, the rotational movement of the spine is super important too. That's like where you get the obliques uh, going into the movement and stuff. Um but I mean, that also kind of gets into where you need uh, length through the pecs and you need the ability to, to, to move your scapula in all these different directions. So when you start getting into the shoulder area, it's a little bit more complicated. But, um, but yeah, rotational strength is super important, especially the, the eccentric strength, the ability to absorb force. Um, that's huge in the javelin and, you know, just athleticism in general. Oh, right on. Yeah. The more you talk about actually the anterior core thing, the more I do think about all this stuff. I feel like javelin as a, um, as a sport definitely has a lot more anterior trunk stuff that's probably different and outside the box than a lot of other, you know, even throws and, and other movements just because of that demand. So I guess that, that does make sense. Like I think about like even someone doing like, even some of those crazy pullovers people would do in the different positions and so it's it's definitely a unique event with a lot of cool and, and interesting tools that I think offer a lot of benefit uh, to events outside Javelin. Yeah, no, 100%. Definitely. 
Well, all right, Kevin. Uh, well, hey, I think that does it for the podcast for today. Uh, running out of time a little bit here on this window of things, and but hey, it was good uh, to sit down and chat with you. I know after you know you've written so many awesome articles and reading all your material and kind of getting your philosophy on that, and it was nice to uh, see your face and chat. So thanks for being on the show today, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely appreciate you having me. <laughs> That does it for another episode. We'll see you guys next time. Um, enjoyed that one with Kevin and such a brilliant, prodigious young coach. And he's definitely going places. So I'm excited to see his journey as both a coach and an athlete. Uh, our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high end training technology. You've heard of their new, the new things they have in the store, as well as the old standbys. So be sure to support them as they've been a great supporter of us over the years. Also, if you enjoyed the show, don't hesitate. Last thing you do, we're signing off, is if you could leave us a review on iTunes, that would be fantastic. That would be an awesome way that you could support us. And I am very grateful for everyone who has left a review so far. So uh, my goal, again, is to get to 200 by the year, uh, by the end of the year, by, by December 31st. So if you can help me with that, would totally appreciate it. We will see you guys next week with another great guest. Have a good one.